we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Howdy, folks. We're your hosts, Willow Truman. Sequoia Kennedy. And we'd like to welcome you to the Nonsense Bazaar. You see, right now, you're traveling through another dimension. Not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But not a sound mind. Not a... (laughs) (laughs) And not much sight either, because this is a podcast. Yes, this is an audio program. You'll be using your imagination for all of the visuals. Sequoia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing pretty good. Me too. There's some insane wind blowing outside right now. There is. Can't do nothing about it. I wish we were telling like a spooky ghost story. Yeah. But we're not. No. (laughs) Not too much spooky this week. Maybe in its own right. And it's (laughs) in part two, it'll maybe not spooky, but it'll creep you out. (laughs) Creepy. Spunky. (laughs) Actually, no. (gasps) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) No spunk allowed. Hmm. So. All right. So do you want to introduce what we're talking about? Sure. The Oneida community. It's uh, it's one of the most interesting utopian communes that you've never heard of. But you may have purchased silverware from. Yes, or been gifted it for your wedding or something. Is it? Is it possible that we are talking about the secret history of American dinnerware? Yes, <laughs> we literally are. I mean, you know, the um, this isn't going to help the rumors that have been floating around <laughs> that we're we're in the pocket of big chopstick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I do like to use chopsticks. They're the best utensils. Yeah, really good. But we're not. We're an impartial. No, I literally own this silverware, by the way. Like, I have an Oneida dinnerware set, and I use it. I didn't even know that until I started doing this episode. How, um, how, how's the, how's the forking? <laughs> They're really, it's really good. Good, good poke? Yeah, we've had that silverware for like 30 years. It's, good hand feel? Yeah, it's very good quality. Ergonomics? I have to highly recommend Oneida silverware. Hell yeah. So, the group dissolved in 1881. But that silverware business, it's still going strong to this day. Yeah. Unlike their uh, silverware sets, which come with a lifetime warranty, the United community would not last a lifetime. No, it would not. Beginning in 1848, the group lasted for 30 years, never became especially large compared to other cults like, say, the Catholic Church with (laughs) 1.2 billion members today. I mean, as much as I hate the Catholics, (laughs) I don't know if I'd call them a cult. I don't no. think. Yeah, I'm, be, I'm being silly. I know. What's a what's another big cult? What do you think's the biggest? Scientology. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Oneida was tiny. In January of 1849, the community had 87 members. Grew to 172 the next year. 205 the next. And by 1878, nearing the end of their three-decade run, 306 members. Not that's bad. Not bad at all. No, that's not pretty bad. goddamn good. So the OC, which it's a fun, it's a fun, California, it was uh, very different from the larger utopian model established by the Puritans in the 17th century. Notable differences, marriage not allowed. 
Private property, not allowed. Doing something called Bible communism. Fuck you. <laughs> this is the days before, like, this is, remember, 1840s, so the definition of communism, very different. Still, you, but you, still, you, Bible those, communism. You know, I'm a product of my time, too, and uh, <laughs> you say Bible communism, I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Yeah, so they're doing that. Also, come, not allowed. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> they're doing a little practice called male continence and eugenics oh. experiments. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh my. So that's more of that in part two. The secret history of silverware. <laughs> oh. Right. Uh, for right now, we're going to do our little tarot poll. Yes. Okay. Better be a fucking wand. The Ace of Wands. Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it's a big old wand in that hand. Yeah. Just shooting. Oh, baby. And, and the Ace. The ace is, uh, it's the unmanifested power. Yeah, it's so it's, perfect. It's the power unmanifest. Yeah, it's the yes. It's, 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 it's so perfect. Oh, we're so And it mixed. looks like a fork. It does. Or and it looks. Like a butter knife, but still. Looks a little bit like. Well, yeah. Jib. Well, yeah. But I don't even have to say that. You don't. I, I did, though. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> uh so the story of the Oneida perfectionist, it's it's mostly the story of a man called John Humphrey Nose. And you're probably imagining that his last name is spelt like in a way that that would seem like it's pronounced nose, but it's not. It's spelt N-O-Y-E-S. It's spelt no yes. Because <laughs> this man can't right. make up his mind. Um, so you'd think that it's pronounced... Noyes. Noise. Or noise. You mean noise. But no, it's nose. I hate it. Why, though? Why? Why There's, indeed? I don't understand that. Maybe it's like an accent thing because his family was for, I don't know. <laughs> we'll never know. It's mostly his story, mm -hmm. Mr. Nose. It really pains me to say it like that, but I'm gonna, because that's how it's said, apparently. Mr. Nose. Yeah. Yeah. After all, without him, the whole dang thing wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have eaten off the fork that I ate off of earlier. Can you? I can't believe that. Literally, like, there's stuff in my house that wouldn't exist <laughs> if this man didn't do what he did. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, it's his story. It's also... Largely a story about the sweeping changes taking place in the United States during the first half of the 19th century. Oh. Something that I really didn't know that much about. Yeah, it's history again. Yep. I love it. A little history <laughs> lesson. So allow us to set the stage a bit. A little patriotic. <laughs> oh, God. You know, this song came out in 1820. Oh, yeah. So we're right, we're right around the right time. The first three decades of the 19th century were a time of profound social change in America. The population exploded from 5 to 30 million. The Louisiana Purchase vastly expanded the geographic reach of the nation. The early phases of industrialization began in the Northeast. People were on the move. Canals, roads, and then railroads crisscrossed the land. Towns and cities grew. Great numbers of people started the migration west. The course of our relatively new nation had not yet been firmly set, and anything seemed possible. This period of massive social change also gave rise to a new form of evangelical Christianity. No more were the days of an angry, vengeful God who we can't help but to disappoint just by being born. We're not mortal failures doomed to a life of sin no matter what. We can achieve salvation through living a righteous life. 
Historians refer to this period of religious revival as the Second Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that make you think of? Son of a bitch. Yeah. So the Second Great Awakening. Second Great Awakening. So, this, yeah. Have we? So we're we're aware of the third, I suppose. There's been several since then, oh, apparently. Fuck. I think we're probably in another one right I wanna now. I want to go back to sleep. I yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so the Second Great Awakening, it, it helped bring Americans comfort during a time of uncertainty and rapid change. And it, it led to the founding of many well-known colleges and a bunch of new religions. <clears throat> Joseph Smith. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. He'll be fun to look into. Okay. Well, just like the First Great Awakening half a century earlier, this movement, it appealed to emotion, enthusiasm and the supernatural. Does anything ever change? No, it's just a cycle. We're you know, just in a spiral world. We're going to do Philip K. Dick one day. Mm. And his uh, idea yeah. of the, the whole, his like take on Gnosticism that we're all just living the year, it's just the year 50 AD over and over and over again, just with new skins. Yeah. Courtesy of the Demiurge. It's fucking weird. Good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, nothing ever changes. No. It's the same shit. Times of rapid change and crises leads to emotion, enthusiasm, and resurgence of the supernatural, both and the belief in and the effects expand, of. Expand, contract, expand. Right, exactly. You realize, then you forget. Then yep. you realize, then you forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this movement, it rejected skepticism and rationalism put in place by American Enlightenment. It was like, no, 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 no. We... We need to have some some fun, some new possibilities. And yeah. It was a wonderful world of imagination and new possibilities. Yeah. Oh. You don't have to <laughs> leave this in. This can just be for our enjoyment. Do it your mouth. <laughs> do it, do it your mouth. What the fuck? <laughs> do it your mouth. That's what John said to all of the the kids in his cult. (laughs) I'm doing all your moms. (laughs) And your mom. And your mom. And your mom. Oh my god. (laughs) So with the historical landscape set up, we can talk a little bit more about John. Mr. Nose as a person. J.H. Knows. Yes. John I like that. J.H. Knows. He should have gone by that. Should have. John Humphrey Noyes was born September 3rd, 1811, up in old Brattleboro, Vermont. His father, also named John, uh, was a general store owner in Brattleboro, and he was also served to term in the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah. Yeah. Some political ties here. People in, in the politics family. and money and weird shit go together. Yeah. All the time. Why? Because they got money. Yeah. And you got to be a fucking weirdo to make literally anything happen. You got to be able to fund your weirdness a little bit. Yeah, you really do. It's unfortunate. That's why the seekers rejected her medicine. It's expensive to be this weird. (laughs) It is. I don't know. I'm fucking broke as hell. Yeah. (laughs) His mother, Polly Hayes, was 16 years younger than John Noyes Sr. And she was a deeply religious woman. She claimed to have prayed before John's birthday that someday he might become a minister of the everlasting gospel. Those were her words. Interesting. 
Polly was also the aunt of Rutherford B. Hayes, a future U.S. president. I mean, he's one of the ones that you forget about. No one fucking right? knows who he is. No, I totally he, fucking Rutherford forgot. Rutherford B. Hayes, fuck that guy. Like, what did, who? And, you know, in addition to religion, she also loved doodling flowers. I like, you know, yeah. I like that about Polly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, was, so, if she was the aunt of Rutherford B. Hayes, I mean, John knows. A cousin. Yeah. Yep. Cousin to the president. Right? Hmm. Well, as a little boy, John liked to go to bed early so he could have his thinking time. (laughs) (laughs) Something I would not have found out if I didn't read his actual, like, recollection of his life, which he he wrote extensively about himself. He did a lot of self-reflection and like hmm. he was an incredibly philosophical man actually he he was a deep thinker a lot of cult leaders are yeah which is weird it's just like i don't know if you've ever read like l ron hubbard's shit i mean his 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 conclusions he comes to himself comes to about himself are interesting terribly flawed to say the least yes but it definitely they ruminate totally so yeah gotta have your thinking time gotta have your thinking which time, yeah. Fuck yeah, you know, I I can't say that I do enough of that. Just like sitting down to th- to think. I be thinking all the time though. I think too much. Yeah, I don't, I, I think <laughs> I need, I'm good without my thinking. I need time. no thinking time. Right. Uh, he shared his mother's enthusiasm for religion until he was sent off to boarding school in Amherst, Massachusetts, where he promptly lost touch with God. He didn't like it there. Hmm. He missed his mother deeply and immediately, and sent her a letter pretty much the day that he got there, that stated, how heavily the hours pass, this ain't happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dramatic little boy. My He's goodness. like 10 years old. Um, wow. Another notable life event for John when he was 10, and this is a sad one, his younger brother George passed away. So the family having a six-month-old baby decided, new George, rename him. It's <laughs> like, that's fucking Wait. weird. Really? Yeah. That's so strange. It was, the baby was named William, and they were like, well, George is gone. I guess this is George now. Prophecies told there must it's be a George. It's weird. It's like your pet dying and you renaming your other pet after that. Like, Anyone who does that's fucked up. It's so weird. It's not okay. <laughs> really not okay. Um, I thought that was worth noting. Yeah. Yeah. That's strange. It is. I don't like it. Dude didn't outgrow his uh, awkwardness anytime soon. He was no, he's always awkward, always kind of awkward and strange. How was he? How was he around members of the fairer sex, as he would have likely called them? Not good. <laughs> <laughs> he he suffered from the same affliction as me, being a yep. ginger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just have that inferiority complex. You're like, hey, I so pale. <laughs> I don't know. I might be more pale. Yeah. Yeah. No. Dude. No. You at least have Italian in you, so you kind of like tan a little show. bit. No, I yeah. don't. I don't fucking tan. Nah. I crisp. Uh, I'm sure John did too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, yeah. And so John like decided he'd never get married. <laughs> you have little faith. Oh, I'll never get married. I'll yeah, you're like 15. Yeah. Get over it. 32, you're 32. You piece yeah. of shit. Everybody's getting married and at like 20, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. this. But is honestly, him thinking that he would never get married is really funny because I didn't even mention this, but, you know, they ban marriage so that everybody can be married to each other. Those oh, 300 we'll that. people that I mentioned 
all in a, they're all married to each other. You so. ever heard of a rat king? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A few days after his 15th birthday, uh, John entered Dartmouth College, his father's alma mater. And this was in 1826, and he was intending to to become a lawyer. Right. And in the period before the Civil War, college education was basically a religious education. Like, that was taught. Yeah. yeah every, insti- was, every institution was founded by some preacher, minister, yeah. some religion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, theology was a part of life. Yes. No escaping it. Yeah. And Dartmouth College was founded by a congressional minister, Eliezer Wheelock, which is Mm, that's a good Eliza. That's a, or Eliza. Eliza. Something, something like that. I don't know. Eliezer. Yeah. <laughs> good name. Wheelock. That's a Wheelock. great last name. Yeah. At the core of the con- congregational faith was a belief in the essential sinfulness of all humans in salvation by grace alone. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning basically that even if you read the Bible every day, you faithfully try to follow all of its <laughs> guidelines for a righteous life. Failure is inevitable. Yeah. You know, so you're just going to fail, even if you try to be good, even if you try to be the best. But God, he's picks favorites. He might allow you into heaven. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to be damned. And this choice is up to God. You don't know. You'll never know until you die. So you just you just got to live your life in fear of that right <laughs> and that's that's that fucking that's that dark dark christianity it is i it's hate it fucking dark i hate it and it's part of the same culture that created like um you know the, the basically the worldview that you are also rewarded in this life right uh that fucking new england protestant shit where it's like if you're rich it's because you're a good person yeah or and like it, a lot of poor people taught their kids that yeah, we're poor because we're bad people, right? Like Fuck. it deeply fucking ingrained, real, real fucked up shit. Well, John didn't like it either. Good. Which is so fascinating to me that he spent like, you know, all pretty much all of his years up until the age of 20 when he has this fantastical awakening. He was not sold on it. And he would write in his diary about how, you know, he knows his mom is really into it. He wishes that he could be into it with her, but he's just fucking not. So. Well, he, he shared his mom's enthusiasm for religion. When, as like, a little boy. Yeah, when did that like. When he went to boarding school, yeah. like when he got sent away and was away from her. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah he was just outside of her influence. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. With all the other little boys making fun of him and kicking him saying he's stupid ginger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, make me deny God too. <laughs> right. <laughs> so fuck religion. He's going to be a lawyer. Hell yeah. Yeah. And in 1830, he becomes an apprentice to Larkin G. Meade, Esquire of Chesterfield, New Hampshire. Hmm. Who's his brother-in-law. Sick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, and this is in the days before law school. So the way that you practice law was Basically, just to hang out with a lawyer, learn from them. There's still a couple states where you can do that. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's two states you can do that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Larkin G. Mead Esquire. He lived in a village where there 
happened to be an academy there of about 90 girls and boys, these teenagers. They would hold balls and parties. I'm not really sure the difference. Uh, balls have the... Fancier? The fancy the music dressing to the fucking nines yeah. instead of to the seven and a halves right. as they did for parties. Yeah, I bet parties were similar, just not as fancy, but still maybe a bit fancy. I don't know. How There's, did they get down in 1830? Oh, come on. They didn't. <laughs> I imagine like the balls were like probably like a more stratified thing. Like you, there's probably things you're more supposed to do. Yeah. Things are expected of you at a ball, whereas a party. You have to waltz at the ball. Right. You got to know how to dance. Mm hmm. Well, John, he's a cool college boy, right? He's like training to be a lawyer and he lives in this town. So, of course, he gets invited to all the parties. I mean, fuck yeah. Nice shoes, college boy. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And so would begin John's long history of fucking teenagers. Jesus Um, Christ. (laughs) 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 No, I don't know if he ever. Yeah, come on now. Yeah. Well, he found out that he wasn't as unattractive as he thought. In fact, he made friends with this girl from the academy, Caroline. He would write poems about her in his diary. But, of course, the end of summer, at the end of the, the school season, he got to go home. Caroline had to go home. So John's dreams of marrying her and falling in love and having family, they were cut short. This was his first true taste of heartbreak. Oh, Oh, that teenager I had a crush on. Oh, <laughs> oh Caroline. Christ. Yeah. Hit the song. Oh. Run with me, you're Oh, God. Caroline, you don't know what the fuck you did. You changed this man's entire trajectory. <laughs> No, she she was just the first heartbreaker. He would have his heart broken again and way harder. But right now. At a certain point, do you you bring it on yourself? Right. You know, so heartbroken for the first time, but still intending on continuing his law studies. God damn it. I'll become a lawyer anyway. Yeah. John left back home for Putney, where at the urging of his mother, he planned to attend one of the many Methodist tent revivals sweeping the nation. Nothing ever fucking changes. He told her that she would be disappointed. He was only going to please her and he wasn't going to be converted. I'm not going to have none of it. He would, in his words, resist the assaults of the Lord. He has such a way with language in his diaries. Fucking dramatic. (laughs) I will resist. Oh, I mean, diary. Yeah, no. Yeah. So the four days leading up to the revival, he started... Started to feel that old familiar feeling again. Started to get the tingle. Yeah. Tingle of the Lord inside of him. He told his mother that he couldn't be convinced, um, but he wasn't so sure of that himself. <laughs> oh, John. Like, <laughs> that's that's a funny feeling to reckon with. Like, I don't want to love God, but what if I do? Doesn't it? Because um, God loves you. How are you not going to love him back? What, are you just going to reject God like that? You're going to slam the door in God's face? It implies just like a baseline religious nature baseline belief in god it does right yeah the fact that he's wrestling with it and he he literally viewed it like yeah as a battle between himself and god he wrote about it that way and he he reassured himself that he would remain a calm soldier so he totally he oppositioned himself as if there's two opposing teams which is like him and religion so I think he's kind of setting himself up to to fail even. 
This is so weird. It is. Like, what's he's your? He's just a fucking edge lord. Yeah, he's like, no, I want to be different. I don't. I won't. Is this just Aleister Crowley? This <laughs> <laughs> is like the same Ooh. fucking. It's like the same fucking thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Not nearly as no. It's not like it's not. This is Crowley was ver, version two point It's better. Mm-hmm. Much better. <sighs> Crowley's at least kind of metal. Mm-hmm. John Noe's got no metal in him. Except Actually, uh, he has silver. He, he has a shitload silver. of silver. Yeah. <laughs> so Sunday at the meeting, John ended up going. It was okay. You know, the typical sermon, but yeah, not what I expected. I expected. So in all of the tellings, you expected the, the, the fury yeah, in all of the tellings, when you go and read articles about this mm-hmm. and the cursory timeline and stuff, it makes it seem like he had this amazing come to moment at right. this revival meeting, yeah. but he didn't. It's what happened after, after he got home that did it. Yeah. yeah, it was fine. Typical sermon. But later that day, John came down with a sickness. Sickness was so severe that his mind wandered to what he may have done to deserve this. I've experienced that. Yeah, I've asked that question before. Uh, he saw it as a sign that the Lord, or whoever was trapping him in bed for a few days, the Lord, or whoever, was trapping him in bed for a few days to give John a chance to humble himself. <laughs> Had he ever really given religion a fair chance? Setting to conquer his pride, old John got on his knees and he started to pray. <laughs> Over that afternoon, meditated, and he read the Bible until he dripped with sweat. And the next day, he felt differently. He was ready to devote himself to God. Like, what the fuck happened? Some crazy shit. He was dude. sick. He got better. He prayed a lot. Yeah. And then he got better and he was like, oh my God, it was God. That's stupid as hell. Right? I feel like that's kind of what happened. The way that yeah. it's described in his own words. And he had like he was probably delirious with fever too. That too, yeah. yeah. So and he would and shit. he was um he was sick for the next few years too. Hmm. Like he would describe it as as cholera, but he would also describe it as just an overactive nervous system where there would be days where he would be like you know just confined to bed and didn't want to do anything, which to me sounds a lot like depression. Yeah, and, you yeah. know. Or like some sort of cyclical mood disorder, which yeah. I can reflect on because I've been there. And he's at j- just that right age, you know, 20 to sort Hell, of have yeah, yeah, this yeah. like. Yeah, that's when it, that's that's when that shit can come on. Totally, for sure. So this is a profound experience for him, this, this sickness, whatever it is. Right. Him and God are bros now. (laughs) It's a very popular song in 1830. Hard to find music from this time period. Well, John, he's seen the light of God. Fuck that being a lawyer shit. He's going to start over. Scrap it. We're going to seminary school. Oh, no. Yep. So he goes to this place, Andover Seminary School. He continues having problems with his health there, both mental and physical. His conversion had him racked with guilt, feeling the bondage of old habits, constantly self-examining in his diary about whether or not he was worthy of God's favor. He's good enough. He knows that God loves him, but do I love me? At the end of August 1832, John decided 
He's going to hop over from Andover and go to Yale Theological Seminary, mm. New Haven, Connecticut, with the mm. big boys. Big boys. Yeah. Big God boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> See, in Andover, it had been a lot of subjective study, a lot of self-reflective exercises. But over at Yale, it was a more objective Christian study, like really yeah. digging into the Bible. Right, right. Again, analytical and like real theology. As yeah, theology. he's ready to take the next step. He's done enough uh, toiling away at Andover, writing every few days about how he's so ecstatic and happy. And then a few days later, oh, my God, I hate myself. Mm. Like, <laughs> poor dude. Eh, uh, sounds fucking just whiny, though. Yeah. You know, like, right. He would have been a fucking incel. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, I think that. Oddly, religion helped him get laid a lot because the secret he, is it always does. He offered people an alternative, you know, to the super puritanical anti-sex and said, oh, no, no, no. It's OK. God doesn't mind. So I can see why, like, a lot of people would find his community an appealing alternative. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. But. You know, he's a very ambitious man. He and a group of other radicals founded the New Haven Anti-Slavery Society, which was one of the first in America. So he was very anti-slavery, which is interesting about a guy that goes on to do eugenics experiments. It's just odd how you could be progressivism in this time is uh, it's. Yeah, well, because <laughs> we different beast. A lot of times we associate like like eugenics and slavery are not the same thing. Right. It's, it's, no, it's not, not at all. It's not the same thing. It's. Two entirely different things. However, we do associate that level of like control with the Nazis and shit because the Nazis uh, practiced, they, they were big into eugenics. Right. Like that whole side of, you know, the <clears throat> that whole thing. But like, you gotta understand that even though this dude founded like the, an anti slavery society, there was still like what we would now call the shitty term race realism, those fucking assholes. That was kind of just woven into the background of like everything. Right. I yeah. think even to be like. In, even the progressives. Yeah. Like, even to like, be a progressive or abolitionist or uh, in this time, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a. Right. That you, yeah, yeah. you think races are equal. And also the, like eugenics was um, I think it was it was first just about uh, mentally handicapped people. Mm -hmm. Right. And then a lot of other things. Later right. on. And just the idea of like selective breeding and shit of humans. And that's like it, it, it's an interesting thing that I think like this was around the time that the very start of rapid technological progress. Mm -hmm. Right. And with that, I think you, you start to see people entertaining the idea of engineering humanity. And Real being early. able to engineer their own life decisions, too, because yeah. contraceptives were not. Yeah. widely available yeah and you know so if you want to fuck sometimes that means uh that that means having a kid like your 11th kid you're like <laughs> or maybe it means having another stillbirth like your sixth one like yeah. john eventually did go through with his future wife harriet and you have to think that like being put through that trauma you might think like I mean, how can I just fuck without having to go through that? Um, <laughs> so I think that that also 
influenced his um, interest in eugenics, but we'll get more into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the problems with his nervous system that he experienced in Andover, no more. Hmm. He is now able to give sermons without shaking and stuttering, which he just, he got over his nerves. He became more confident. Growing up a little bit. Uh, he also was helped out um, by spending three hours a day in a closet. Wait, what? Yeah, he would spend at least three hours a day in this closet, and that really helped his his progress spiritually. He said it was it was in this closet that he entered into the secret place of the Most High and abode under the shadow of the Almighty. I love that. No, it's just dark because it's a closet. The secret place of the Most High. He's doing opium in there. Hell yeah. <laughs> Uh, like okay. John's, cl- he had to have his thinking time. Yeah, it's his, it's his thinking room. <sighs> Weird dude. <laughs> so while he was at Yale, uh, Nose also began to question the basic congregationalist doctrine that everyone is essentially sinful and can only be saved from damnation by the unknowable grace of God. He found himself in- interested in the teachings of the Millerites. That same year, John entered the seminary school in 1832 when he entered Yale. A central New York farmer and lay preacher named William Miller began to widely publish the claim that he had discovered biblical sources which made it possible to accurately calculate the second coming and the time of the final judgment. The time was near. (laughs) (laughs) Like, fucking crazy. So, John, he didn't throw himself into William Miller's rapture fantasy. Instead, he chose to form his own. But over the next 10 years, and I think this is important for like just a reflection on the time period, this dude, Miller, he gathered a substantial following. He was doing publishing, revivals, tent meetings, like going all around. Yeah, I've heard of the Millerites. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about them, but... Well, he, people were like, okay, when's it going to happen? And he was like, fuck, okay, I guess I got to come up with a fucking date. So his date, October 22nd, uh, 1844. I thought you had a method to calculate it, Miller. Yeah. I want to know, what is that method? Right. So that day comes, 100,000 people across New England, they sell their possessions, they dress up in white, they stand on hillsides near their homes. And they await the rapture that never comes. Holy shit. This event is called the Great Disappointment. Fuck yeah. Right? That's amazing. Like what? uh, Yeah. So now we know about that. The Great Disappointment. The Great Disappointment of 1844. (laughs) William Miller, you fuck. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) I know. That's a lot of people. <laughs> it's so many people. A hundred thousand? hundred thousand. It's a fuckload more than 306. Yeah. I've never heard of anyone getting a hundred thousand, any of these fucking assholes getting a hundred thousand people to do something at once. Yeah. That's impressive. An estimated hundred thousand. Okay. But still. Yeah. It's a lot of people. God damn. <laughs> I'm just thinking like... How did, like, this is before radio, this is before any sort of mass communication, except the pamphlet. Mailing. Like, the, yeah, pamphlets. The, the that pamphlet. was the internet of the day. Is I mean, and. Mailing out pamphlets well, and shit. He, well, here's the thing, dude. Protestantism, of which this, you know, there is Catholicism and then the splits in Catholicism. But then all this shit comes mm-hmm. out of Protestantism, mm-hmm. which was triggered by the invention of the printing press. Yeah. And then because of that, the the fundamental change that now 
everyone could read the Bible. Right. And now it it fractures out even further with all of the proliferation of everybody else's ideas. And yeah. Yeah. So like in a very real sense, um, belief systems, religions, belief structure, whatever you want to call it, like is intimately entwined with information technology. Mm -hmm. Always has been, always will be. And I don't know if that speaks more towards the, uh, uh, the importance and the ever uh, the pervasiveness of principle. faith or the pervasiveness of information technology. Yeah. Right? Or maybe it's those two sides of our brain. In, in I think that intimately um, entwined. curiosity and faith are intimately mm. entwined. Absolutely. Because in order to wonder and question, you have to, you know, yeah. I don't know, you have to show a bit of open mindedness. It's the whole two brain thing, which is may or may not be kind of bullshit, but it's a good metaphor. Yeah. It's the same thing like the scientific method was being developed at the same exact time as like Solomonic magic, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fucking nuts. They're kind of, I would say people would, some people would disagree with me. I think that those two are kind of two sides of the same coin a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I would almost also say that they're both very left brain thing. Like the Uh the Ars Goetia with like the circles and the formulas and shit, but I mean, it definitely does. They're not two halves of the brain, but they're yeah, two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the yeah. left coin. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild, though. Yeah, that's why the internet and weird beliefs or whatever you, however you want to say it, is just it's just connected to know mm-hmm. So, unlike the Millerites, John didn't think that the uh, second coming of Christ would happen in the future. He thought it already happened. He reached the conclusion that uh, that Jesus had actually returned. The, you know. The, the final judgment predicted in the Bible, the second coming of Christ, it already happened without any fanfare, <laughs> without anyone knowing about it yeah. in the year 70 AD. And this was based on his interpretation of uh, Christ's prediction that the millennium would arrive in, within one generation. And, you know, if that if the millennium already happened, it means that part of the population unknowingly had original sin fucking washed away. And thus they were now spiritually capable of leading lives free from sin. I kind of like that. I like it too. Yeah. It's like, hey, we're already free. So just live your life. Like, Right. It already happened. Sweet. We're the one. It's it's an inversion of that yeah, initial. Because so many people have used the Bible to justify so many differing things. Yeah. Like you can look at the same passage and multiple people will have different interpretations of it. Yeah. So what he's doing is he's taking the Bible and he's looking at stuff that this seems to be evidence to him and to other people too. He wasn't the only person that felt this way to set forth a new interpretation that gave people a little bit, a little bit more power over their fate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's super interesting. It is. It's a good calculation too. I gotta say if, if, if fucking Jesus, <clears throat> If someone did say that Jesus, I mean, Jesus said it. Yeah, it's within a generation, it's <laughs> right. It's got to be within. I don't know. It's better than most of them give. Mm-hmm. So the Oneida community, they would also call themselves the perfectionists, which I don't believe I brought up. No, the Oneida perfectionists. I mean, what do you think that means? Uh that they're striving to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You would think that that's exactly what that means. Yeah. But perfectionism. It was this religious, what would you call it? I guess a movement. I guess it was kind of yeah. a movement. And from the beginning, Presbyterians, Congressionalists, they thought that perfectionism 
was dangerous. They thought that it was heresy Mm. because, you know, complete emancipation from sin. That's a goal that you achieve in heaven when God gives you his grace. Right. You know, you're just a presumptuous little man who lives on earth. Who are, who the fuck are you to say that you don't have any sin that you've Mm. been saved? You don't get to make that choice. God does. Yeah. (laughs) The perfectionists, not so much. They don't really follow that. So yeah, a lot of people thought that this was a dangerous idea for some reason. John's family included at first, they did come around to it. They came around to it. They did. Yeah. His sisters. In fact, he would go on to marry his sisters (laughs) or enter a group group marriage with them included. Oh my goodness. Yeah. See, even, even the grooviest idea is just fucking. (sighs) I know. So let's group that's group dynamics, man. It doesn't matter what it is. This is such a, a good study in it. Right. So to explain perfectionism a little more. Sure. So John Wesley and yeah, it's another John, uh, there's a fucking lot of them in America, believe it or not. There are. Uh, he founded the Methodist Church. He thought that uh, God's laws for living a moral life could not require behavior that you that's not attainable. Right. Behavior that you like. Why would can't you? Do. Why would you give us rules that we can't follow? Unless that we're it's gonna all fail. a fucking high, highly crafted bureaucracy designed to keep designed people to fucking living in fear and sin and failing because it's all a fucking psyop and has been since the goddamn beginning. Curious, very curious. You hear me, Mister Pope? Coming for you next. Mm. <laughs> Watch out! So John Wesley preached that any human being who who truly devoted themselves to living immoral lives could live a perfect life, life without sin. He expounds on this in uh, a plain account of Christian perfectionism from 1725. Mm-hmm. And in John Wesley's view, one can achieve achieve the state of perfection through a religious conversion. So conversion, basically it, it means submitting yourself to Methodism, yeah. but uh, more broadly. I wonder if um, that's inspired by Islam. Yeah, I wonder. Because I mean, Islam means submission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I feel like what he's what Wesley goes on to describe is a very spiritual process. Yeah. So like during conversion, you get freed from your outward sins that you've committed in the past. You get this new freedom. It's like, OK, hey, chill out. You're free now. Yeah. Yeah. And now you experience revelation and this personal salvation and you can transcend your own inner limitations that rhymed of original sin through this yeah submission you get to open yourself more and go into yourself and wesley told his followers that you know salvation from sin it's it's not the end it's just the beginning this is literally your first step right now it's up to you to try and do good and be good oh wow i mean i'm which I like. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, that, so I am not a, even, I don't know even close to as much as I would like to know about Islam and all that shit. Cause that's so huge and so complicated, but my very limited understanding that definitely feels inspired by, mm. um, at least like, yeah, the Islamic mystic traditions and shit. It's just interesting how that uh, totally, which it's, you know, the melting pot of America. Yeah. Right? It, all, all new religions, the, the syncretic mm-hmm. fusing of things. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't inspired by. Yeah. Yeah. Christianity hadn't been inspired by before. So John Wesley, who, by the way, Wesleyan university is that guy. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. 
So Wesley, he looked at this perfect holiness as a more theoretical possibility, something that we can always strive for, you know? Yeah. But John, Mr. Knows, he believed that it was really doable, that you could mm. achieve this perfection, this heaven on earth. Ah. It was going to take a lot of years, but it could happen. He estimated a 300 to 400 years. And he, he felt certain that once he understood what life would be like in heaven, what a perfect life was like, mm. that he could convince anyone to begin living that life. Okay. Also inspired by um, fucking dude who knew what life, what life after death was like. Uh, Swedenborg. Swedenborg. Yeah. That's right Manuel around this time too. I think Swedenborg was late 1700s. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was right after. This is right after Swedenborg. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Because I know that his his name has come up yeah. in my research, too. Super influential, dude. Um, Not a lot of people I've heard of. This. All right. Now that we have an understanding of perfectionism and blah, 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 we got to talk about... Background. Yeah, we got to talk about John's love life, because yeah. this is very important. Because I'm assuming he obsessed over this throughout. Yeah. Seems like the type. Yeah. No, he does. Once he likes someone, oh, he likes you. Thank God the internet didn't exist. Holy shit. He would have been yeah. sending you so many fucking emails. You block him, makes another account. Like, he's, he would send so many letters. <laughs> the first girl to really capture him, 1834. Abigail Merwin. Abigail. <laughs> Abigail. Oh, my God. Abigail. Oh, yeah, baby. This artist is called the guy Abigail. who sings your name over and over. Yep. <laughs> I bet oh there's... Abigail. He's made a song for your name, whoever's listening. Not for mine. <laughs> I got to you, fuck. You're going to eat those words in a couple pages. <laughs> oh, no. Fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> so, have we all fallen in love with Abigail? Yes. Me too. So, J.H. knows... He fell in love with Abigail Merwin early in 1834. They met in the Free Church of New Haven, which was a church. It's kind of like a melting pot for uh, basically religious people, but from different religions so like to get together. Kind of, kind of, but no. Okay. For like, uh, it was like the, the Christian version of Unitarians, if you get that. Like people from different okay. Christian sects getting together. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Abigail, she's the first person. They got a lot of good pizza in New Haven. Yeah, they do. Pepe's. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Get that clam pizza. Dude, that shit. When we go to the casino, we're getting clam pizza. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Dude. Oh, now I'm thinking about the clams. Yeah. Think about Abigail's clams. Quick story about clam pizza. Please. Mohegan Sun. Where where we are in southern New England, there's two fucking huge casinos right next to each other, Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun. They're two they're like the two biggest casinos in the country, run by two different tribes, Native Americans. If I leave this in. <laughs> Mohegan Sun has a lot of free shows. Some really fucking awesome shows. I saw uh Sam Bush, the mandolin player there. I saw Lettuce there, the funk band. Cool. Yeah. And when Lettuce played Mohegan Sun, a fucking tribe of all the festival kids 
from all over this area descended upon the casino. It's it's the better casino of the two, too. It's nicer. It's pleasant. Mm. Foxwood's kind of trashy. See, you know, let us play at the stage for free. For free. Just in the middle of the goddamn casino. For free. There were so many fucking hippies on drugs there. <laughs> Ohegan Sun, which is enormously impressive. This beautiful... It's if you like sensory overload like I do, it is a wonderful place to be in. Especially are like being inside of a dream because there's like waterfalls and foliage in there. They pump high oxygen in there. Oh, it's like it's it's wonderful. It's 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 it is a wonderful. And but there's also people smoking in there. Yeah, there's like weird patterned carpets, and then oh, a food court. Which means and then oh, an arcade. Like what the? Where am I? Am I in a dream right now? Which means that if you're there to see lettuce. And, you're on and the drugs. place is packed with hippies and they're going to stay afterwards. And you yourself and your buddies all have fucking heads full of MDMA. It's the best time in the goddamn world. Sounds awesome. It was great. It was like. And did you get clam pizza? Yeah, that, that's what I was going to. This is the thing. So we're out of our goddamn minds, right? It's like a dream. It's the wildest fucking thing. And you we needed sustenance. Pepe's in there? Right. We needed sustenance. So we went to Pepe's. We heard it was the good pizza. Let's fucking get some good pizza. Oh, what should we get? Let's get the fucking clam pizza. Hell yeah. We get, the guys were kind of weirded out by the clam pizza. I told them to shut the fuck up. We're getting clam pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but Pepe's, they cut, they got a gimmick. They cut the pizza all fucked up. They just kind of hack at it and you get yeah. uneven slices, which is kind of cool when you think about it. And, you know, you don't always want the same amount of pizza. Right. But they just fucking butcher the goddamn thing. We were so confused. We thought they were either fucking with us because they hated us or the dude just didn't give a shit about his job. And we were like, this is unprofessional. We were just like looking at this thing like what? We did not know what to make of it. It colored the whole pizza eating experience. Yeah. It was fucked up. Oh, my God. Great pizza, though. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Back to Abigail. Yeah. How the fuck did we get on New Haven pizza? Yeah. Yeah. Pepe's. God, I want clam pizza in it. So Abigail, she's very special to John. You see, on February 20th, 1834, John made a bold move. He announced his perfectionist views to the congregation, which this, it wasn't really a perfectionist congregation. And John's views of perfectionism went a step further. Right. And he, he announced his beliefs to them and said, I've been saved. Heaven on earth is possible. And they were all like, whoa. This declaration would come to be known as the high tide of the spirit by his future followers. He gets up to announce that he's been saved and he knows the way. And all the people in the church are just like. And another one. And another one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to imagine even this early on. Yeah. How many fucking people? I was just like, ah, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Oh, God. Yeah. They weren't happy about this. No. It'd be known as the high tide of the spirit. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, his declaration. That's interesting. Two months later, the Congregational Association revoked his license on the ground that he had adopted views on perfection, which were erroneous, unscriptural, and inconsistent with his usefulness as a preacher of the gospel. And he got his ass kicked out of the theological seminary. Seminary. <laughs> My dad always said it like that growing up. I didn't realize until I was too old that I was... Yeah. 
an appropriate joke. In fifth grade, I learned what incest is because I wrote incense (laughs) on a poem and I wrote incest instead. And my teacher, nice woman that she was, decided to to let me know my mistake instead of just like letting it happen. She was like, I'd like to to point. Yeah, super awkward. That's what I learned. Yeah. Seminary incest. Yeah. So (laughs) this uh, this expulsion prompted Noah's famous saying, I have taken away their license to sin and they keep on sinning. They have taken away my license to preach and I keep on preaching. Yeah, right. He's basically saying, hey, we're free of sin. And they're like, no, we're not. We're very sinful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, fine. If you. okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Like, be that way then. Huh. Interesting. Keep on preaching. I don't hate him. At the, yeah, no. He's weird. He's I weird. I don't hate his message right now. He he goes against the tide, which I appreciate. Hmm. Abigail, she's an older woman. Okay. She's 30. Fuck you. It's not well, older. She's, she's older than John. That's no, what I meant. Not even. 22 and Same 30. age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he likes it. He likes his older lady. Oh, God damn it. She had dark hair and eyes. Like, wow, she had eyeballs. Um, dark she, eyes. Yeah, she yeah. had dark eyes. <laughs> Just the way that the sentence is written is funny. She had dark hair and eyes. Don't worry. She, she had eyes and a nose and a mouth. She was beautiful and talented. They met often to discuss how to launch their own perfectionist preaching campaign. And, you know, there we go. Yeah. No said that their attention is on Christ. They're not doing any. They're just on Christ. Yeah. No, No funny business. But nevertheless, a wonderful weaving of attractions was going on, describes John. (laughs) <laughs> and before the end of this little period of them working together, he was desperately in love. Something that didn't seem very hard to achieve. Just give the poor boy a little attention. <laughs> That's really all he needs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Abigail standing proudly by his side after his license was revoked and he gets expelled. That, that must have felt really good to yeah. have someone be like, hey, no. I believe what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with you. Also, John's a romantic. He wrote, The next thing that a man wants after he's found the salvation of his soul is to find his Eve and his paradise. Like, I don't disagree, but I'm not going to put it in writing. Yeah, yeah. You know? (sighs) Well, in a fit of restlessness and mental turmoil, and like probably due to this the sting of being i can't believe that you needed a license to preach yeah that's whack that's whack as fuck yeah you gotta go you have to be able to afford the school you know it's a racket yeah it's fucking racket yep god damn it and then they control everybody else in the town many tentacles yeah you know maybe due to the sting of being expelled losing his preaching license uh nose left for new york city in the spring of 1834 (laughs) This is when Abigail starts to have some some doubts about about John. Mm-hmm. What, what John referred to as um, unfashionable behavior was making his friends and relatives fear he was going insane. Yeah, which I'm just I, I'd engage in some unfashionable behavior. Yeah, it, you know, losing your fucking shit, preaching the telephone poles. 
Uh, do telephones really... exist? No. Street lamps. Street lamps. He's preaching a street lamps. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really know what happened, but we know that he got over his fear of death, which is interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. He writes, uh, in quote, I am not a debtor to the devil, even in regard to the form of dying. I know that if I live till the kingdom of God fully comes, which I believe is coming, I shall never die in fact or in form. You can't kill me, bitches. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I really wish that there was more detail. I've, I've searched for it. Yeah. I want to know what, what happened in these three to four weeks. Normally I'd say drugs. I don't know if there were psychedelics involved in, yeah, in New York city in 1834. God. Well, could have been, but could have been. Yeah. The most interesting detail that I can find is about, uh, some visions that he was having while living there. Weird place to go for a vision. Normally yeah, New York City? The other direction. Go to the wilderness. Right. But he's from the wilderness. He's he's from like these small town Vermont shit. Oh, wow. So it's just like sensory overload. Yeah, probably. That, like, I get the same thing. You go manic right, in the city. Right. Yeah. That's why I haven't got out of there. <laughs> yeah. So one of these visions that he has, he sees Abigail and she's standing on the pinnacle of the universe in the glory of an angel literally putting the pussy on a pedestal. Yeah. Wow. Yes. But even though she's all angelic and on top of the universe, there's a voice that he can't ignore telling him that Abigail is Satan transformed into an angel of light. Oh my God. She's the devil. Oh my God. And he thought that she was cursed. <laughs> Maybe because she I wasn't responding to his you. letters. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, so news of John's antics get back to Abigail's brother-in-law, Everard. <laughs> and Everard <laughs> travels to New York to go scoop up John and bring him back to Connecticut. Because we get by with a little help from our friends, you know? Just, it's just Abigail's sister's husband. It's like, I'll go get the fucking idiot. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> God. All right. Jesus. That's just, that's funny. Poor bastard Everard. <sighs> trying to imagine his thought process i would love to i wish i just knew more well after the new york debacle abigail and several other of john's disciples which i guess he had a couple at this point yeah i forgot to mention this you know after he gets kicked out and yeah. everything he can't go back to the free church right they're, they're like we don't you know you're you're doing too much right um that's when him and Abigail decide to launch their own thing, right? right. So they're kind of, they're going around and they're scooping up members from other places to come yeah. and join his thing. And he's preaching to them. He's practicing his ministry to his own group that is outside. You know, he's, he's going unlicensed, baby. Yeah. And I mean, he can, he's got some words like they're, I don't think they're words that'll get me, but he's got, he has some cool ideas and he's got words that would definitely get some people. Yeah. Just thinking back to Jack Parsons and we see the same personality type mm -hmm. doesn't do it. Although he was trying at the at the end. He was literally doing the same thing with his gal. Yeah. Own system doing the that's wild, man. It's a fucking. Are they all terrible? Would John's have been would Jack's no. have been terrible? See, I, I don't even. Yeah. No. I'm just wondering if it's something I got to watch out for. Yes. <laughs> it's always something to be mindful of. Yeah. So how like. Did the church grow pretty fast or like they had not a big fall. It's probably like 12 people fairly consistently, though. Yeah. Seems 
Although then he went to New York. Right. And then he, he fucked it up because yeah. he, he basically lost what he had built up when he went to New York. Huh. Yeah. Because everybody so, was like, wait, what? What? Yeah. Like after they hear about him losing his mind, they they left his church and went back to New Haven Free Church. Yep. Yeah. Abigail did, too. Yes, she did. <laughs> uh, and Abigail claimed to still be a perfectionist and to have confidence in John's religious character. But her father had forbidden him to come to the house. Yeah. Daddy oh says God. no. Yeah, because it's like his strange adventures in New York, whatever the fuck they were, rumors were swirling and he, about. he thinks that he had a vision of her being the devil. That's true. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> dangerous. And she was kind of fucking embarrassed by that. Yes. You know? Rightfully so. Yeah. She eventually stopped responding to his letters and picked up correspondence with a previous suitor, a gentleman named Merritt Platt. Merritt Platt. Yeah. And of He's course, got a shit-eating grin. Yeah. <laughs> you know that he was just waiting in the wings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Merritt's like, I'll wait. I'll wait. Patience is a virtue, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> John was obviously crushed by Abigail's rejection, but he continued preaching. He wrote about religion and philosophy constantly, and he joined with a feller named James Boyle in publishing a magazine, The Perfectionist, because what else would he name it? Then for the next three years, he lived a very irregular life, uh, winning a few converts here and there as he visited New York City, Newark, Philadelphia, and a lot of smaller places, little towns all around New England. Yeah. He was often... None of those places are in New England. Yeah, right? None of those cities are in New England. (laughs) In the Northeast. Right. Yeah. In the Northeast. It's all... I'd say New Holland. Besides for those cities, he was probably traveling yeah, yeah. around New England. Well, I think, yeah, I'm not sure what the different religious characters of New England and the Dutch places were. Mm-hmm. It's like the, it, those are all like Dutch colonies and the, the Dutch have long history. Well, this is after the Dutch, you know, golden age where Holland was known for religious freedom and freedom of ph- philosophical ideas. So it kind of makes sense that those towns down there would be really open to these ideas. And of course, cities are always a little bit more open-minded in terms of, yeah. So John, he's often penniless (laughs) and homeless. Oh. He's just traveling around. Just the ragged preacher. He's the perfectionist prophet. Wow. He goes all in. And he's trudging miles on foot. He's sleeping in haylofts and public parks. And of course... There's two poles between which his activities are increasingly oscillated. And these are New Haven, Connecticut and Putney, Vermont, where his parents live. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he was fucking around New England quite a lot. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. He like respect. He did the whole thing. He sure did. You know, I got to say. In a time when it's probably not too easy to travel around. Got trains. Oh, that's true. You got carriages. Yeah. 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 But like he ain't got a car. He's not sleeping in his car. It's going to take a while. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, bit of respect for that. He uh, walked the walk, as they say. I I do like that he did the, you know, I'm just going to go on my voyage. Yeah. I don't got nothing, but I got God. Yeah. I mean, it's fucking insane. It's totally crazy. It's an insane thing to do. But, you know, if you were just broken up with by the someone that you really deeply loved, you might be like, yeah, fuck it. All. I'm, I'm with God now. <laughs> Go with God, son. Yeah. I'd, better be insane than a grifter, though. Mm. You know? Yeah. Grifters would just start grifting. Mm-hmm. Well, 
In January of 1837, John learned that Abigail had married Merritt Platt and moved to Ithaca, New York. So what'd he do? He fucking, he moved to Ithaca too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Apparently intending to somehow win her back. The story goes that he walked on foot for 140 miles to Ithaca from Kingston and quote, for the purpose on the one hand of starting the paper and the kingdom of God in the center of New York state. Uh, and on the other of pursuing and confronting Abigail Mer- Merwin, who had deserted her post as my helper. How dare you? Fuck you, though. No respect for that. Yeah, I think that that's such really. a, r- a rude way and presumptuous way of wording it. Uh, you deserted yeah. your post. You're supposed to help Conf- me. Dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. Like, like I would be like, bro, you walked 140 miles. No, that's insane. You know, I'm married, right? That's insane. Yeah. It's like tr- truly crazy behavior. I, like I'm a sensitive sort. I've got my heart crush. Yeah. But it's like, you get your Perhaps heart I've, crushed. I've had crazy thoughts. You know, but then I go, Oh fuck. That's you crazy. send like a drunk text. You don't walk 140 miles. Yeah. Like the- <laughs> I might fucking ramble on for a bit and say shit that I'd look back. And go, Oh Oh, like at what point but like, in your journey are you like, oh, God, maybe I should just. But no, maybe he doesn't. He's he doesn't. He goes the whole way of God. Yeah. Good Christ. Well, he quickly discovers that he's not going to be successful because, of course, he's not. And he pens a bitter anti love poem to her. Oh, God. He says, you say your heart is still your own, but words will never prove it. What God and you and I have done will stand. The world can't move it. So go your own way and I'll go mine. I care not where you wander. The branches' roots are in the vine. They'll ne'er be torn asunder. We'll meet again. Be sure of that. Some twixt now and never. An age or two I well may wait since we are one forever. Jesus. Like, leave her alone. Yeah. He's like in their window. Yeah. She's finding little red curly hairs. Like, what are these? Oh my god. He's watching. Yeah. So, in the midst of intense emotional turmoil about losing the person he he was destined to love, you abandoned your post <laughs> as my helper. Nose suppressed his personal sense of loss, and he focused instead on the guiding principle of his life, creating a heaven on earth, where no marriage would be allowed, but fuck you for getting married. See, this is the thing. When you suppress that shit... It comes out. It comes out. Stronger and more complete and more total. The whole community was based around the fact yeah. that he was angry at her for getting married. Yeah. Like, that's pretty much it. You can't suppress that shit, guys. He suppressed it and he ended up with 300 spouses instead. But he couldn't come. And he couldn't come. Yeah. So suppressed. That's that. So fu- terrible. Dude. That's evil. Yeah. That is evil to let people fuck as much as they want, but you can't come. Like that, what? That's madness. Oh. That's what happens when you suppress the undesirable parts of yourself. Seriously. And that's why Jack Parsons was never a cult leader. Mm, he didn't suppress anything. He let it right. fly out. He let it explode out of him even if it right. had to. 
that's the difference. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so he, he referred to marriage as egotism for two. I think Crowley probably said the same thing though. Yeah. <laughs> so similar to the Shakers and the Mormons of the time, John would start to view romantic exclusivity as a sinful interference against communal u- unity, something he valued above all else. The freedom to get his dick wet as much as he wanted. Man, just wanted to belong. Yeah. (sighs) John's partner in the Perfectionist magazine, James Boyle, had now also deserted his post. He deserted perfectionism for other enthusiasms. God, everybody's leaving their post. (sighs) And the way was then open for Nose to found his own journal, The Witness. I'm watching you. I'm fucking watching you. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's, just, it's too perfect. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Is that synchro mysticism? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Is this jazz? Yeah, so The Witness was first published out of Ithaca, New York, but it was later transferred to Putney, Vermont. This paper provided Nose with the means for propagating a more stable brand of perfectionism. He went over a number of convents. Convents? This is fucking all the nuns. He went over a number of converts in Putney, Vermont, one of whom was named Harriet Holton. Yeah, so you know the Abigail song we heard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see if that guy had a song for Harriet, too. Yeah. Well, he does. Okay. So I think we should see how it stacks up to Abigail's. Yeah. Harriet, 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 poop. Poop, poop. Poop, poop. What the fuck? Harriet. Is this the same dude? Yeah, it is. He has another channel for, um, like, poop name songs. And, like, names, but with fart jokes, too. Yeah, this is called The Odd Man Who Sings About Poop, Puke, and Pe- Fuck? Harriet. Who is this fucking... Harriet, poop, poop, poop. What the fuck is this? Yeah, he has, oh, countless tracks, too. It's like he does it all day. It's really weird. This is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. You said that he wouldn't have one for your name. Yeah. But he does. Really? Yeah, I included a link for it, too. I couldn't believe it. How the fuck? I really couldn't believe it. I thought... you fucking kidding? I thought that there was no way, but... Fuck you to help. Fuck you. That's what? Keep playing it. I want to hear it. Yeah. Did you pay him to do this? No. What the fuck is this? It's not spelled the same as mine, though. No, it's not. It's not spelled the right way. Fuck this. No. <laughs> Really amazing. I have to. Pay. I can't even fucking. <laughs> That's not okay. There should. There can't. This is. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We live inside a dream. Yeah. The fact that it's the same as the Harriet one, except with your name too. I couldn't believe it. It's only just poop, though. Yeah. That's so fucking bizarre. I mean, it's only, it's, it wouldn't be bizarre for anyone else. Yeah. I'd never. T- you never ne- find your name on anything, I bet. No. Yeah. Never. It's fucking strange. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, if it's, I just want, if it's not spelled the same way. 
does he still have power over me? No. Okay. <laughs> well, we're we're in 1838 now. It's gonna take me take you a while to, to, to recover, recover from, from that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we got John and Harriet and uh, Abigail. And other girl, Mary and Caroline, God knows who else. We're all sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Wait, Abigail didn't join the church. No, but she's okay. kissed him and they're all together. That's true. You know, Abigail doesn't go away for John and Harriet's courtship. He's still writing letters to her the entire fucking time. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> she's I- not responding, but he's still doing it. Creep behavior. Yep. A little bit of a creeper, John. So we know that John's distress over being in love with a married woman led him to come up with this concept of spiritual spouses in 1837. Basically, you might be married to him on earth, but you're married to me in the kingdom of God. Like, literally, that's it. Yeah. And this then evolves into it's called spiritual polyamory and then it's known as complex marriage and it is complex because he's anti-marriage but it's called complex marriage he's anti-monogamy because it means he doesn't get the girl yeah it it means he doesn't trust his ability to keep a girl so he's got to keep his options open right i literally think that's it no it's a here's the thing bud everyone dies alone (laughs) <laughs> it's true like it's you got to be okay with it being you yeah you got to be okay with you like you're the fucking you're on the journey you're the only one on the ship you're interacting with a lot of other ships but at the end of the day there's only one person who goes down with your ship and that's you yeah it's just true um right yeah complex marriage it's such a good name for it because like yeah it, what else he's gonna call it you know he had to write several books just to explain and, and justify <laughs> the idea of complex marriage, both to himself and to the world. Um, he creates a biblical argument for it, as stated in his book, Bible Communism, where he's... Again, fuck you. You got to share everything, because in, in the kingdom of heaven, you don't own anything. Everything is one. So get over those earthly ideas of ownership and property. Share everything. In Bible communism, it tells us that because conventional marriage it doesn't exist in heaven, then we it shouldn't exist on earth because it's not in heaven. Have you ever been to heaven, John? How do you know? What do you know? Spence inside Abigail. Yeah. <laughs> That's his nickname for her puss puss. Um mm. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous story it's fucking wild <laughs> i can see why you were so fucking <laughs> absorbed yeah so right green and like despite all that shit talking of marriage that uh nosy boy did uh he'd go on to take a take up a legal wife of his own the next year in 1838 a wife who agreed that the relationship would remain open and one who was also happened to be the beneficiary of a large inheritance convenient harriet Yes. Harriet Ann Holton. Yeah. She was born in Springfield, Vermont, November 28th, 1808. She had been left orphaned at an early age, so she was adopted by her grandparents. 
Her maternal grandfather was Mark Richards, who had been lieutenant governor of Vermont and a member of Congress. So just more political ties, Mm. political family. She had an excellent mind. She's not brilliant, but she's very cool and perceptive. Mm. She had like a subtle intelligence. Solid. Yeah. Unflappable. Unflappable. And at 18, Harriet was engaged to this other dude named Edmund Burke. But it was it was an election year and her grandfather didn't see eye to eye politically with Burke. So Harriet was ostracized from the family. She defied her grandfather for five years. But in 1831, she had a sudden change of heart. She said her heart had been given to God and she wished to be free from their engagement. What a weird way to say you want a divorce. (laughs) Dude, you ain't getting a divorce. Like that's I mean, they weren't quite married yet. But like, dude, 1830s, you're not getting divorced. Mm -hmm. That done. It doesn't happen. Yeah, that's true. Even into the early 20th century. Like, Breaking off the engagement. Shit. My my grandparents got divorced, and that was scandalous even at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. True. She broke off their engagement. They did not get divorced. Probably scandalous on its own, right? But only scandalous. Not- yeah. And the fact that they remained engaged for five years is interesting. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. Maybe before Harriet got with John, because she was very... She was very open to the idea of an open marriage. I wonder if that's why her engagement went on so long is because maybe her and her husband, they were Unitarians, by the way. I wonder. So they were, they, they went against her grandfather, both like politically and religiously. They were very like progressive. And then all of a sudden she was like, God, I belong to God. Mm. I wonder, I wonder if that engagement was her way of just getting out of a shitty house. Yeah. Household. Growing up a little, having her own life. Right. So, you know, she's 18 when she gets engaged. So and that was probably also her, just common too. Yeah. Her first foray into the outside world. Interesting. Yeah. So like I said, she converts from Unitarianism to revivalism practically overnight. Uh, her diary records this change with characteristic brevity. She says, In a protracted meeting, I came to the conclusion to devote my life to God. (laughs) There you go. Her and her grandfather made amends, and he promised to never interfere with her affairs of the heart again. Huh. Nice. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Not when he's the cousin of the president, you ain't gonna interfere. (laughs) Knowing Knowing that Harriet struggled with... You know, self-condemnation and longing to overcome sin. Seems like everybody did at the time. Yeah. You know. I'm not good enough. Timeless. <laughs> Her best friend, Marsha, sent Harriet a copy of John Nose's article on how sin could be overcome entirely just by having faith in Christ. It's that easy. It's that easy. Harriet was utterly swayed. So she starts writing to John Nose. She officially declares herself a perfectionist at 26 and she sees John preach in person for the first time and they continue exchanging letters afterwards. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, as with all of the greatest love stories, John and Harriet, John and Harriet's love story begins with her sending him money and, oh. and being completely devoted to and enamored by him. You know, basically, he's given her the free pass to feel less guilty about existing. Just like, <laughs> you know, a bit less shame. I'm just going to go on the record and give everyone a free pass for that right now with no strings attached. Yeah, go right ahead. Unless you're an asshole. <laughs> you know who you are. 
Uh, <laughs> no, even you. Even asshole. You can feel okay for right now. So, you know, she's writing to him. She's sending him money. Uh, he's still trying to get back with Abigail. He's still actively trying to get back with Abigail. He's got this devoted girl sending him money. Believes his bullshit. Dude, you got a freebie. Just take it. Just that's take a it. That's a fucking... That's a big old dubs to put on the scorecard there, bub. Come on. Uh, click the little thingy. Oh, yes. Click the thingy. Oh, God damn it. A-B-I-G-A-I-L. No, I'm not. <laughs> Abigail. Oh, my God. He's going to come back in a future episode. I just uh, I'm going to shoehorn him in there when you least expect it. Veto powers. <laughs> you can just not include it in the episode. I got veto Because you edit. Yeah. <laughs> you got that. I'm on the Nonsense Bizarre Security Council. That's true. <laughs> God. Uh, so, Abigail and Merritt Platt, they get married in January, right? They're yeah. divorced by December. Oh, damn. They actually, do, like, they separate. Oh, their shit. marriage, they do divorce. Wow. So, uh, you know, John kind of, he sees this as an opening, even though that's not what that means. Just because she's single doesn't mean she wants you back. No. If he hadn't been such a weirdo. But he, he tried. He could shoot a shot. He's going to try. He hasn't stopped trying. But she's, she's still not biting. You can only, here's the thing. You're only allowed to try if if you're not the primary source of that marriage dissolving, like if, if you, the primary of the information, do you know yeah. what I mean? If someone else tells you, oh, you know, by the way, did you hear that uh, Abigail got married? You're like, damn, I haven't heard from her in a fucking long time. I had no idea. Maybe I'll send her a letter. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. But if you're just fucking waiting in the wings, bro. Right. You know, it's funny too. Harriet knows all about Abigail. Jesus. In fact, she even she even writes to John talking about how she's struggling with the has feelings about Abigail, but she does overcome this and she's honestly very mature about her feelings of jealousy because she realizes, well, she doesn't want you back though. So it's <laughs> really all interesting. It's very fucked up. Ugh. Listen to this. This is how they begin their relationship. It's a very romantic letter sent by John. To Harriet is so fucking romantic. <laughs> he says, after a deliberation of more than a year and patient waiting and watching for indications of the Lord's will, I am now permitted and happily constrained by a combination of favorable circumstances to propose to you a partnership, which I will not call marriage until I have defined it. She says, what yes. Fuck? And so isn't that sweet? Every breath you take. <laughs> like what make. the fuck john he literally what what is your why are they drawn to him why is harriet drawn to because he gives her salvation he gives her permission to be free of sin yes yeah yeah because yeah. otherwise like this letter i you know it's like when someone I texts back like k i don't i don't understand mm. what are these what are these women? What are they seeing him? Except the message he was. Sending. I guess they still. They're like you know. I get to be with the cool perfectionist preacher, who's on the who's on the up and up. I don't know to them because he's he's because cooler. He is he's cooler followers. than the other ministers. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, fucking Harriet. That's true. And Harriet did like. He's like the renegade. Harriet did get converted because like a friend of hers gave Sent, her yeah gave her a pamphlet. So he's getting known. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minor celebrity. He's he's the renegade minister. He's practicing without a license. He's going Shit. against the tide. He's doing his own thing. He's telling people, you know, uh, you're you're free. Oh, he's like the fucking twenty something minister of Boy Scout camp who thought he could rap. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. God damn He's it. the bad boy minister. Ugh. So I think that's it. That's like what the attraction is. And also because you can be with the bad boy cool minister, but he's also going to let you do what you want. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you already have developed the idea of complex marriage. And right. You know? Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be totally loyal to him. You could still have fun. Okay. So I do, yeah. I, I can kind of see why, even though he's not a perfect partner, he's why this, he has the draw. And he like his obsession with Abigail is internal out outwardly. He's preaching something opposite. Yeah. Okay. But I, I feel like if Abigail was like, yeah, I'll marry you. He would just like drop all this shit and be like, yeah, okay, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Like, oh, okay. Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, this is all a manifestation of, of suppression mm-hmm. of his feelings and not coming to terms with himself and who he is and why he feels certain ways and what things mean. God, I'm going to. Oh, man. So many thoughts will be going through my mind as I'm eating like dinner tomorrow. I'll be like looking at my fork. Like, right. What is this symbolic? We haven't even gotten to the silverware yet. I know. There's so much. We haven't. The Oneida community right. hasn't even begun This is just yet. the background. Uh, so. John and Harriet, they get married because it's just beneficial for both of them. Right. They realize the that it's good if their assets are joined. <laughs> the cash, son. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. She and the other Putney converts. <laughs> that is also, the that is the situation in which um, Crowley said marriage was okay. Okay. Yeah, it was to Amazing. get that guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. Go on. It's okay. So Harriet and the other Putney converts, they provided Putney. <laughs> they provided the members for the Putney Corporation or Association of Perfectionists, formally organized in 1845. And that's where we're going to pick up next week is with the Putney Corporation, Excellent. which will then three years later turn into the Oneida community. So they started as a corporation. Yeah. Became a company. They even, they called themselves the corporation. Oh, you can't do that. Someone else already did that. Oh, that was the company. Never mind. Never mind. Some fuckers will talk about another time. Internally, they would refer to themselves as the the corporation, which is. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, I just understood something that's entirely unrelated to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Interesting. So before we wrap the episode up. Let's talk about the Ace of Wands just a little bit. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about it even more at the end of, of part two. And we'll see what card we draw for part two. That'll surely be interesting. Yeah. So, well, it's because the so the aces of the tarot, you know, the ace is on the tree of life. Tether, the godhead, the pure, undirected the, energy. The spark of life. The spirit. Yeah. The thing is, the aces are, you know, the unmanifested power. So it's not it's not doing anything yet. It's a weapon to be wielded. 
Right. Right. And it's, like it's been created though. The energy is there the energy, now. The energy is always there. Yeah. That's the thing. It's always there, but it has, it's not used. It's surging, it's waiting to do something. Yeah. And the it's the princesses or the pages in the Rider Waite Smith deck that use the uh, the element. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, They're the wielders like, of the magical weapon. So it's this hand coming out of a cloud in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. And the hand has a big wand in it. It's almost like something reaching down from the sky and offering you something. Yeah. And that's the symbology of like the magical weapons on the, on the table in front of the magician in the, on the magician tarot. Right. And I feel like for John knows the Bible is his, is his tool of choice. Yeah. The fire of God mm-hmm. and all, and also action. I mean, he did walk he the walk. He traveled around all the, the fucking time. He was walking for miles and miles he and miles. Did, he followed his fucking ex. Right? He did. This is a man of action. He went to law school, apprentice. He did four years of college and then was like, uh, fuck that. I'm going to do something entirely different now. Yeah. That takes a it's, lot of courage to do. It does. And it's like, it feels like he's someone that always has to be doing that. He has to control the situation. He right. has to. He doesn't know how to wrap this. it up. He doesn't know how to wrap it up. He doesn't know how to receive. Yeah. Right. He strikes me as overbearing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and like, I don't know that. Yeah, we all like all those impulses are in us, and I've always, I've had a tendency to be overbearing and needing to control situations and shit. And like, that's not good, man. You need to open yourself up to receive. For sure. To just be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't always have to be directing. No, you know? he you had don't... to be the leader. Yeah. You know, he had to be the preacher. And I think the Ace of Wands is also just a good card to represent this episode because this is a start. Yes. And part two, we'll see where it goes. That's where it goes. But right now. We know where it goes to our fucking dinner (laughs) tables all across this great nation of ours. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, I had fun. I had fun too. Yeah. Excellent. Yes. We hope you had fun too, listener. It's fucking silly. It's history has so many crazy little corners and silliness in it. And that's what we're here to bring out. Yeah. Right? I am. I'm so that's glad you're getting butter. interested in history. Mm. It's cool. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of stories, man. Traveling back in time. Yeah. How just how did we get to this place wherever, wherever we are? It's real stupid. the spark of life created us the the wand of fire yeah you know the good lord is just as stupid as us Mm. i'd have to agree yes all right guys i'll take care be well bye-bye